Well, good morning. It is great to see you again. I'm glad uh, that you are with us. Uh, I've got I've got a, this three-ring binder up here that you just saw me maybe bring up. I freaked out a couple weeks ago because my iPad, which we all use as pastors here because we're all younger pastors, but uh, it went it went blank like during the offering, and I panicked and had a like, oh no! So now I got a backup just in case <laughs> that happens, and I go down. I'm pulling out my three-ring binder. That's what that's what I'm doing. Um, but uh, as you were uh, maybe here at the beginning, Matt mentioned the inserts that are in your bulletin. I, I did just want to kind of bring to your attention that the incident on Black History Month uh, before we jump into our sermon. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of the letter. Uh, you may have read it already, but let me read it. This explains uh, why we uh, celebrate Black History Month. We've always celebrated Black History Month here at Christ Central since, since our inception in 2014. This has been something we do, but this is what we wrote together as a leadership team. Each February as a church, we celebrate Black History Month. We do this because being cross-cultural is one of our church's core values. We believe all people are created in the image of God and crowned with glory and honor, racism, and racial division have been barriers to affirming the dignity of all people in our country's history, our church's history, and the church, uh, our city's history, and the church's history. We believe the gospel of Jesus Christ leads us to repentance, which causes us to take action, breaking down barriers that we have been complicit in creating. The gospel holds power to recreate us into a unified community. And then you can see that we're going to be, as Matt said earlier, honoring a a different African-American congregation uh, in our city has been here for a long time uh, each week. Uh, and as Mark just prayed, St. Joseph's Amy is the church this week. And there's a great quote by uh, Mark Sidwell there. Uh, but then uh, we're going to end the fourth week. We've done this every year as well, singing the Black National Anthem corporately and collectively together. Uh, and then let me read the very end of this letter. It says, our hope and prayer is that our church community would would Genuinely be unified, celebrating one another and our beautiful differences while being rooted in Jesus' grace. We hope and pray that we can honor the black men and women and congregations who shape the church in America and Durham through their faith and action. And then uh, you see on the flip side of that a picture of what was St. Joseph's AME originally, but is now known as the Hayti Heritage Center. Uh, it was the second black congregation in Durham, the first AME, African Methodist Episcopal Church in our city, uh, started in 1869, 150-plus years of being a light and a faithful witness in the city. It's incredible and amazing, as you as you think. We're just an eight-year-old church, 150-year-old being faithfully present in the city. You can read more about it, but uh, as Mark said, we uh, if you didn't know this, uh, we worship in what was... St. Joseph's original, but now Hayti for the first six years of our church's existence and came in here for the last year and a half. Uh, but St. Joseph's as a church built its new building in the 1970s, moved further down Fayetteville Street, closer to North Carolina Central University, and the Hayti Heritage Center remains as kind of a, a, a historical remembrance of what was the Hayti community. Uh, and so you can read more about that in the insert. Uh, well, let's jump in uh, to our sermon together. Uh, as I was thinking about Black History Month as well, I was thinking about a movie that uh, has become probably our children's favorite movie. Uh, I don't know how many times we've watched it over the past uh, three plus years. Uh, I can't count, but it's the, came out in 2018, Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, portrays Miles Morales as the first black Latino Spider-Man. Uh, my boys dress up in their Miles Morales outfits all the time. 
their Spider-Man costumes. And, and we, lo- we love the movie. We love the soundtrack. Uh, but in this movie, if you haven't seen it, Miles is an ordinary teenage boy who's bitten by a radioactive spider, uh, which is in line with the original Spider-Man storyline. Uh, and as a result, this ordinary teenage boy gains superhuman strength, speed, and agility, and he's transformed into a superhero on a mission to save the world from villains. And this is the story of many of the Marvel narratives. Ordinary people becoming extraordinary and then being swept up into a greater mission to save the world. And that is the narrative of the Christian story too. That Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and while on earth Jesus healed and he transformed lives, Jesus transformed ordinary people like the 12 disciples. And he invited them into a a greater mission of God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus would be crucified. And his closest friends and followers would betray him. They would desert him. And then in, in guilt and shame, these disciples felt like nobodies. Three days later, Jesus would rise from the dead. And he would appear to these nobodies and he would tell them, go into all the world, baptizing and making disciples in my name. Go, for I am with you. Jesus then ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in all who believe in Jesus. And he is transforming us day by day into the image of Christ. And propelling us out into the world to be a part of a greater mission. With the promised power of a risen Christ going with us. Jesus takes ordinary, inadequate, broken, and broken down people like you and me. And he says, through your weakness, I will make my power and goodness known to the world. Well, we're in a series of the past number of weeks in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. And in this book, Paul, the, the author, is repeatedly declaring that God's strength is made known through weakness. That we are strong when we come to the end of ourselves and experience God. Historic Christianity is a story of men and women who come to the end of themselves and discover God. And then God chooses to use weak men and women to be a part of his kingdom come. Power in weakness. I love what Oswald Chambers wrote. So God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used some bodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. Listen, God is not looking for gifted people who are self-sufficient. But for inadequate people who will give their weakness to him and open themselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the transforming grace of Christ. This morning we pick up in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3 and and here we're going to read of the greater ministry of the Holy Spirit and the transforming grace of Jesus that comes from being in God's presence. Which then sends us out into the world on his mission. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, and then verses 12 to 18. This is God's word to us. 
Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, we need you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to pour out your presence now as we come to your word, which is living and active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And we, we ask, Holy Spirit, come. Illumine our minds. Transform our hearts. I pray that I, as the preacher, would just be an earthen vessel, broken, feet of clay vessel that makes room for Christ to be proclaimed so that through you and in you we might be changed. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and lives that walk in the reality of your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Get him a seat. Well, this past summer, uh, I had a sabbatical that some of you know about, uh, and my family got to spend some of our time four weeks in Wyoming. I'd never been to Wyoming, and it had always been high on my bucket places, uh, a bucket list of places to visit. In particular, I've always wanted to see the Teton Mountains. I love mountains. I'm happy in the mountains of North Carolina. I've spent a decent amount of time in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, but I had never seen the Teton Mountains. And as we were descending to land in Wyoming, the sun was setting and the Tetons were shining in all of their glory. It was, it was a sight to behold. And for the four weeks we were there, we stayed in a condo at the base of the Teton Mountains. And every day at 5 p.m., the gondola that would take you to the top of the mountain became free. So needless to say, the Mason family availed ourselves to this free offer quite often. And the view from the top of the mountains, it was breathtaking. You could see for miles and miles as mountains surrounded. The, the, the grass was beautiful and green. It was set against most, most often this kind of this blue sky that... I had never, never really seen before. And the view never got old to me. Never got old. And the crazy thing that I observed at the top of this mountain was there was this restaurant with a large patio where people could sit and eat and have a drink. And, 
It was crazy to see so many people engulfed in their smartphones, eyes fixated on a screen when they had this unbelievable view. I wanted to shout, people, look up. There is something so much greater right in front of you. Put your phones away. See the beauty. In our passage, Paul is comparing the ministry of the old covenant seen in Moses and the law with the ministry of the new covenant seen in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And he is shouting with his pen, lift up your eyes and behold the glory of Jesus Christ. He is so much greater and beautiful. The glory of Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit is the power that transforms our lives. Ordinary, broken, and broken down people transformed and sent out into the world. Last week, if you were here, Evan preached on one of the images that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 to describe the transforming power of Christ. And it's the image of being transformed into the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ. People who smell like Jesus. Well, in chapter 3, the passage we just read, we see two more images that Paul uses to describe those who've been transformed by the power of Christ through the Spirit. And the two images that he uses is a letter and mirror. We become like a letter and we become like a mirror. So we're going to look first at letter. We see this in verses 1 to 6. Look at verse 1. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need some letters, a recommendation to you or from you? A reminder, or if this is your first time here, Paul uh, was being accused of being a deceiver by many in Corinth. They didn't trust him. They didn't think he was a, a genuine apostle. And it was custom in Paul's day for teachers to have letters of recommendation verifying their authenticity to, to teach and to preach. And Paul says in verse 2, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts. Paul reveals again his incredible love for this church. Written on our hearts. There's this deep affection that he has for the Corinthian church. And he says, you are a letter known and read by all. Verse 3, written not with ink, but the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. It's a reference to Jeremiah 31, the new covenant, where God promises to give his people a new heart. The old covenant made by Moses, uh, made by God through Moses was the law of God written on tablets of stone received on Mount Sinai. And it would not and it does not have the power to transform a person into everything God wants for them to be. The new covenant spoken of by Jeremiah promised a new and transformed heart. That God would take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. And the way this happens is by the presence of the Spirit of God invading our hearts and gifting us faith in Jesus. And then God, by His grace, etches His love and grace on our hearts forever so that we become a letter known and read by all. This past week, I received a handwritten letter from a friend. And I know handwritten letters are rare in our times of email and text. But I love a handwritten letter. And I was extremely thankful for this letter. He he just wanted to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. He just wanted to encourage me. And I think every one of us would agree that it would not have been a letter 
if he just sent a blank piece of paper with his name on it. It was a letter because he communicated something to me with words. A letter communicates a message. And as Christians, our lives are transformed. Not to communicate a message about ourselves, but to communicate a message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God loves the world and God loves all who are in it. And we know this because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Let me push on you here for a second. If we are letters, we must use words to communicate the glory and the love of God in Christ. To use words. In an increasingly hostile culture toward Christianity, I think the church has embraced a very popular saying a little too much, in my opinion. It's a saying that's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. We don't know if he said it or not, but it's this saying. Maybe you've heard it. Preach the gospel at all times and use the, and use words when necessary. It's, it's a good saying. I, I like it, but I, I think too often we like it a little too much because it gives us a way out of having to speak up and talk about Jesus. But if we never use words, people will never understand why our lives are different, why our lives have been changed. And let me say this about the words we use, they must be clear. A letter has to make sense to the person who's reading it. Paul says in verse 12, we are very bold. Bold here means straightforward, to the point, clear. The the world needs Christians who are clear about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Not people who talk with a bunch of religious jargon, but people who are clear about their authentic story of how God has changed their lives, about how God is working in their life and transforming them day by day by His grace. We are a letter from Christ, which means it's not our job to change people. Nor is it our job to change society. We are a letter read by all, speaking clearly about Jesus, and then we trust God by his grace to send us out and to use broken and broken down people to be his weak vessels of his power so that other people's lives are transformed by the spirit and grace of Jesus. We're letters known and read by all. The second image Paul uses to describe Christians is the image of a mirror in verse 18. Now, before we get to the image of mirror, we got to look at verses 12 to 17 which speaks about what must happen in order for us to become a mirror. Now, most commentators view verse 7 through 18 uh, as, a, as its own commentary of sorts on Exodus 32 to 34. And there God gave his people the law through Moses. And the people of God continued to live in disobedience. And one of the consequences of their disobedience was that God's presence would no longer accompany them. God withdrew his presence from his people. And so Moses pitched the tent of meeting. And in the tent of meeting, meeting, God's presence was experienced. Moses would enter the tent regularly with his chief petition being God's presence. And upon leaving the presence of God, Moses would cover his face with a veil so that Israel would not see the fading glory of Moses' face as he entered back into a world without God's presence. The veil represented Israel's inability to see God's glory. 
because of the hardness of their hearts. And we know from the rest of the Old Testament that the veil of hardness continued to cover Israel's heart. Even in verse 15, Paul says that he witnessed in the reading of Moses, the people's hearts remained veiled. I got to make a quick point here. The problem is not with Moses or the old covenant. The law was not and is not the problem. The was the, uh, the problem was and is the hearts of people. Hardened hearts. Veiled means a hardened disposition toward God. But verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That's the language of conversion. When someone turns to the Lord, the heart is transformed. And God, by His grace, through His Spirit, gifts us a new heart. No longer a hardened disposition, but a heart receptive to the grace and the love of God. Do you remember a time when the veil was lifted by Christ from your heart? You may not have a conversion story where you say, I was once lost, but now I'm found. You you might have a story where over time... You felt the veil lifted and you experienced your heart softened and you realized that you were loving what God loves. You were loving his word and prayer. You were loving his people. I remember when the veil was lifted from my heart. I grew up going to church and my my parents chose to put me and my brother in Catholic school uh, and in Catholic school. Therefore, we went to Catholic church up until high school. Up until then, I was very religious, but I was merely going through the motions. I had a a strong moral exterior that matched a hardened interior. I didn't understand nor experience the grace offered in Christ until the summer before my ninth grade year in high school. My older brother was studying at the Air Force Academy. He came home for winter break, and he, he started talking about the grace of God and the love of Christ in a way that I had never heard. Saying things like, God doesn't want your performance God's not prone to punish. He's he's prone to mercy. God doesn't want your moralism. He wants you. And, And it was clear and it made sense. And my brother was being a letter. And then he talked about a vibrant living relationship with Jesus through the Spirit of God in a way that was very attractive. And I remember one night sleeping on the living room floor in my parents' house because my brother's friend's we're all staying at the home and they booted me out of my room. And so I was sleeping in a sleeping bag on the living room floor. And as I laid there, I, I vividly remember praying, God, I'm not sure I understand fully what my brother's talking about. But I want it. I want to experience your grace in that way. I want to be in a relationship relationship with you in, in that way. And I experienced the veil being lifted. My heart being transformed. And since that day, I have wanted to be with God and love the things of God. Not perfectly by any means. But my heart was turned from stone to flesh. Verse 17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the freedom Paul is talking about is not the freedom to just be me. Be free to be me. No, it is being set free with a transformed heart to love God and to love the things of God. For when God removes the veil, we long, like Moses, for one singular thing, the presence of God. We find ourselves like David in Psalm 27, saying, One thing I desire, one thing I seek after, that I might dwell with the Lord all the days 
of my life. So I have to ask you, has the veil been lifted for you? If not, would you turn to the Lord this morning? For as it happens, we become a mirror. Verse 18, I love this verse. Look at verse 18. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In the presence of God, we are transformed so that we reflect the same image, the image of Christ in the world. Mirrors reflecting Christ. Please hear this. And I really want you to hear this. Our whole lives we are taught to make progress through our effort. We are taught to improve, to get better in school, to get better at sports, to get better with our finances, to improve our bodies. We make New Year's resolutions because we want to get better. We want to make progress in life. Christianity is the one place where progress through our effort and through our power is the anti-message. Yet sadly, this is how many of us still live the Christian life. And it's no wonder so many Christians are exhausted. It's no wonder so many Christians are deconstructing their faith. And it's no wonder so many Christians are leaving the church. The Christian life is not about our progress. It's about God's presence. And being in the presence of God. And we trust that he will transform us from one degree of glory to another. We will, pro- we will make progress, but it's from being in his presence. Do you know how a pickle becomes, uh, a cu- do you know how a cucumber, in other words, becomes a pickle? You know how a pickle becomes a pickle? It's a pickle. Do you know how a cucumber becomes a pickle? The way a cucumber becomes a pickle is you take it and you put it in a jar of vinegar. And then a cucumber moves around and swims around and tries as hard as it can to absorb all the vinegar so that it can will itself into becoming a pickle. Nope. The cucumber simply absorbs the vinegar through being immersed in it. And over time, it's transformed into a pickle. That's a good picture of being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Our role is to place ourselves in the jar. To find ourselves in the presence of God. And we do that by being together here every Sunday morning. We do that as we read the scriptures. We do that as we sit in silence and pray with God. It is in the presence of God that the spirit is poured out and the transforming grace of Jesus is offered. And we become mirrors reflecting Christ in the world. A staff meeting on Tuesday, we were finishing up our reading uh, months reading this book called Gentle and Lowly. All of our leadership's been reading it. And Christy Bowman, who's our women's director, referenced in our discussion the epilogue of the book. And it was timely for what I'm talking about this morning. This is what Dane Ortland writes. He says, after reading a book about the heart of God, we might ask the question, but what are we to do? The main answer is nothing. If an Eskimo wins a vacation to a sunny place... He doesn't arrive in his hotel room, step out onto the balcony, and wonder how to apply that to his life. He just enjoys it. He just basks. What are we to do? Go to him. And all that means is open yourself up to him. Let him love you. The Christian life boils down to two steps. First, go to Jesus. Second, see number one. 
May we behold the greatness and beauty of Christ. His life, death, and resurrection. But like those people on the top of the Teton Mountains, we're going to be tempted toward distraction by many things in this world. Our phones and technology being high on the list, as well as our self-improvement projects and all the other vain things that charm us most. We go to Jesus. And with unveiled face, we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we are transformed into mirrors as we embrace our weakness and we enjoy his presence. We allow God to make us his letters, clearly communicating the message of the gospel by the words that we speak. And we're transformed into mirrors as we reflect the love and the grace of God in the way we live our lives. We simply bask in God's presence. And we go to Jesus over and over and over, and we allow the Spirit of Christ to do the work of transformation. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray that you would help us do just that, rest in Christ. Rest in your presence. And as we come to this table, body broken, blood shed, help us to truly encounter you, Jesus. You've promised to make yourself known. You've promised to be with us. In the word that was just preached in this table that we're about to feast at, would you transform us to be letters read and known by all, to be mirrors that reflect Christ in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.